the Triathlon Show 334. everybody and welcome back to another episode of the triathlon show the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com i'm your host michael and on today's episode i interview coach natasha van der Merve. natasha is a triathlon coach and a professional triathlete with a background in professional tennis and also in coaching tennis players among other things we will discuss uh, how her t- tennis background has helped her in her triathlon coaching career and that is a very fascinating topic that uh, i'm excited for you to hear uh, but before that a big thanks to our sponsors roca roca produces exceptional quality triathlon wetsuits trisuits swimskins goggles performance sunglasses and prescription eyeglasses and sunglasses roca have created a fantastic range of wetsuits from the entry-level maverick that is still extremely high quality for an entry-level price all the way up to the flagship model maverick x2 all of Roka's wetsuits come with their patented arms up technology, which uh, maximizes mobility uh, in the water, which otherwise your shoulder mobility can be quite restrictive in some wetsuits. And important to keep in mind that this goes for Roka's tri suits as well. So you get the best results if you combine a Roka tri suit and a Roka wetsuit. There are a ton of fantastic features in Roka's wetsuits specific to each of them. For example, the MX Max buoyancy wetsuit is the most buoyant wetsuit of all of them. And another example is the exoskeleton in the Maverick X2, which maximizes speed and propulsion uh, by improving the connection between your hips and your shoulders. Visit roca.com forward slash TTS for 20% off your order. And thank you to Senate. The Senate Indoor Swim Trainer is a swim training tool that you can use at home that allows you to improve your technique, power and stamina and save time and stay consistent. Consistency is uh, what often gets lost in swimming in particular because it might be difficult to find the right time to get to the pool, especially post-COVID. There are still certain pools that that force you to, to book a specific time, which can, can be difficult. So a time-efficient way to complement your pool and open water swimming at home is really invaluable if it helps you reduce those missed sessions. In addition, a swim training tool like the Senate allows you to do things like swim, bike, brick workouts. And also the Senate Swim Trainer is perfect for working on core activation and streamline because of the built-in instability element of the swim bench. The Senate Swim Trainer does not take up a lot of space and it's very affordable and even more so with a 20% discount code that you can get on senateswimtrainer.com for slash TTS. And remember, this is a risk-free investment. If you don't love it after two weeks of using it, send it back and you can get a full refund. Now, without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Natasha van der Merve. Welcome to That Triathlon Show. Natasha, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Uh, let's start by an introduction. Can, can you tell the listeners who you are and uh, what your background is? Yeah, of course. So my name is Natasha Vandermova. I'm based out of Austin, Texas, and I am the owner and head coach of NVDM Coaching. Uh, we work with athletes here in town, but then also virtually um, through, you know, Training Peaks platform, which is how we can work with them. But my background is I'm originally from South Africa. I uh, grew up in, in a small town being exposed to every single sport imaginable. So um, I played every single sport imaginable and uh, I really dove into tennis at a young age. And uh, from 12 years old on, I started traveling the world playing tennis. And that took me to out of high school, becoming a professional tennis player. 
Um, through that time, my sister was also a tennis coach and I would help her. And so this is kind of at the start of my coaching career. I would help her coach athletes when I was in town training, you know, on the side um, as I played professional tennis for the, for the next two, three years out of high school. Um, continuously got injured. And so I ended up having an opportunity to coach tennis. And I started that coaching career at Club Med in the Bahamas and uh, where I just came into the program to help the coaches that were um, already established, who had already established the program. I soon took over the program and was, you know, creating uh, clinics and classes for people that were coming to Club Med on vacation uh, to, to learn how to play tennis. And then from there, I found myself in the States. I live in Austin, Texas now, and I started working for country clubs around Austin, Texas, teaching tennis and juniors and adults and, and all of the like. And uh, it was while I was coaching tennis that I got introduced to triathlon. I was 27 years old. Um, while I swam as, as a kid, I actually had not swum at all from 12 until 27. And then I really hadn't ridden a bike except uh, riding a bike as a child. Uh, so that was newer to me. And then running, I kind of got into running just to stay fit and healthy to be able to coach others while I was um, uh, coaching tennis. And when I first did my triathlon, I just absolutely fell in love with the sport. And so I said, well, how can I dive deeper into this? And there was a local team in Austin that uh, had a really big group, but they needed help, you know, with a strength session here and someone leading a bike session out front. And they knew my background in coaching tennis said, hey, how can we, you know, kind of put you into the fold with what we're doing? And so that's where my coaching uh, triathlon started immediately as I joined this group, local group. And I said, I'll help out. I'll kind of get folks going with their um, track workout and their strength workout. Um, and slowly just switched careers from a tennis coach and was probably doing a couple lessons on the side to helping at triathletes on a local level. Um, and then from there, I got invited to uh, be a part of a coaching team, a coaching company, and they brought me in where I'd work with athletes virtually. So um, through their software, I did that for multiple years. And after that, I uh, there was a facility here in town called Austin Aquatics and Sports Academy. And Brendan Hansen, the Olympic swimmer, was creating the swim program. They called me in to create a triathlon program and uh, from scratch and said, okay, you know, however you want to create it, here's the facility, you do what you want to. And so we did that. And within a year, we were one of the biggest triathlon training groups in Texas. I think we were up to 120, 130 athletes training together every single day at this one central facility. Um, I did that year, for a year and a half. And, and for some reasons, I moved on and just started doing my own things. And throughout this time, as you know, I became a professional triathlete. So I've, you know, racing pro, coaching others, sharing the knowledge I'd gained through coaches I had worked with, just through experience that I'd had. Um, and then folding into today, I'd created NVDM coaching uh, out, outside of me just working with a couple athletes because um, a year ago, I had the opportunity to work with Nick Bear, who has a supplement company here in Austin, but has this massive following, especially with military, like kind of the, the strong guys who really want to get into triathlon, but he's got a huge YouTube following, Instagram following, and he started documenting my, me working with him online. So if you go to YouTube and you type in Nick Bear, you can see his Ironman journey. And because of that and his following being so big, I think, you know, 300,000 to 500,000 views per episode he did. Um, we had a lot of interest for people to work with me. And so I started bringing in coaches uh, from who I'd worked with in the past, uh, athletes that I'd worked with that had become professional athletes through that progress, 
that process to work with me. And we've created, you know, there are 10 of us right now. We're continuing to grow and uh, created NVDM coaching. Yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. Seems like things are just going from strength to strength and a really interesting backstory there with how <laughs> you got into coaching triathlon as soon as you got into the sport itself. But I think that just shows that coaching, I think sometimes people misunderstand coaching as you have to write this intricate training plan, but, but it's, it's mostly about understanding humans and connecting with humans and, and communicating with them. That that's, yep. that's what it's mostly about, isn't it? And then the training plan is only, you know, one layer underneath it and, and just one, one aspect of many in, 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 in being a good coach. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I look at what I've done and I, I see the guests that you've had, right? And, you know, it's PhD and MD and, and that's totally not me. I think my coaching company and uh, what I've done is purely based on the relationships that, that I've been able to create with athletes and just the care put into the athletes and what their their goals are and what they're trying to achieve. And um, we've kind of figured it out along the way, to be honest. Yeah, no, and I, I think that that's, uh, that's, that's how people became great athletes for the most of sporting history, isn't it? Like we haven't had sports science until really in the last couple of decades is when, when it has become more of a major scientific, it's not major, but it's, it's become bigger than it was before, I guess. But still yeah. studies are very small and, and uh, short. So, so I think that just look at how quick people were already running back in the in the 90s or 80s or 70s or 60s compared to what most people are running these days anyway uh, yeah. then you see that yeah mo- most of coaching most of, of coaching has already kind of been known in one way or another because people were already managed to do really amazing things sporting wise on much worse equipment much worse circumstances back then yeah. as they do now so so it's definitely not not about uh having to you know have gone through all of the academic pathways i don't think uh, yeah absolutely yeah i think yeah go ahead <laughs> yeah so so let's let's dive into a little bit more maybe first we can start with uh, your coaching methodology and your coaching style in in, in a little bit more detail or sure. an overview but but a slightly slightly more detailed overview if you will yeah you know i will honestly say that my method today is different from my method a year ago, which is different from my method prior to that. We pride ourselves in continuously trying to learn not only from what others are doing, but also from our athletes. What are they responding to? What are they enjoying? So I bet you if we had to talk again in six months' time, my answer would be slightly different. So we'll start there. Um, As far as the method, I'm going to start with what I consider a, a hierarchy of needs for athletes. And I I look at three things that we need to create for every single athlete. Number one, the athlete has to have fun. They have to show up every day and really be excited about the training sessions they're going to do and just have fun through the process of building fitness towards their race because the majority of their time is training. The race is such a small blip on on the grand scope of things, you know, if they're only racing five, six times a year. So let's have fun through training. Let's create it to be sustainable, okay? I, I tell athletes I don't want... Um, this plan to be such a big hindrance in your life, like where you feel like you can't sustain it, not just for the next four months, five months as you prepare for a race, but long term, year after year after year. So our method is definitely like, how can we just fold this into their life so that the final thing is be consistent. I'm not very big on like creating such a massive training load that's going to require a lot of recovery from one specific session or from one specific overload week. I prefer athletes just to be able to show up 
day after day, week after week, building towards their race. Now, as far as breaking down into the specific methods, what I can tell you is we have the same starting points and we have the same ending point leading into a race for every single athlete. What happens in between is the answer is it depends. It depends on the athlete's level. It depends on the athlete's goals. And so we'll talk about the starting point. We test athletes as best we can. You know, not every athlete can get into the lab. And so we, we've kind of gone through all the different testing to figure out what works for this athlete, uh, what works on a bigger scale for all levels of athletes. And sometimes it may change where, for example, we may use a ramp test for specific athletes. And then for other athletes, we may use a different test on the bike. You know, we may do a, we, we worked with the CSS swim test for a while and then we moved away and we did like a 100 and a 1000 swim test to kind of test what fitness they were bringing into the program. And then we learned that was such a big daunting task for some athletes. So we just kind of shortened that. But at the end of the day, our testing is to understand what, fitness they're bringing into the program. And then with those numbers, as best as we can, we're going to set up their training zones, knowing that as they start training and as we start looking at the details of their workouts, that will continuously adapt as they adapt. Okay. So starting point, testing. Ending point is race-specific work. And the race-specific work is just like, we want these athletes to be as race-ready as possible, no matter what their goals are. You know, if they're a brand new athlete, for most of them, they just want to be able to get to that start line and be comfortable knowing that they can complete the race. And they know exactly how to fuel, you know, um, they know exactly, you know, what effort they need to put in, what gear they need to use. Very simplistic terms. And then for others, we really want to dial in at a higher level, like um, all the equipment for them to really perform, you know, the exact pacing that they're going to use, dependent on that athlete. You know, for example, you know, at an Ironman uh, on the bike, I always say on the bike as an example, but uh, 70 to 80 percent of FTP is where is the range of what they're going to race an Ironman at. We have some athletes that they have really good power short-term, but they can't extend it. And that's something we work on over time, but they might do uh, Ironman at 70% of FTP because that's going to allow them to run off the bike really well, that specific athlete. Then we have another athlete who's a very strong runner and he doesn't have that top end out power, but he can extend. And so he's going to go at 80% of FTP and still be able to run off the bike well. And so we're really like diving into the details to figure out what's going to allow them to perform the best way possible. The in-between again, is dependent on the level of the athlete. But typically, you know, if we had to break it down by swim, bike, and run, uh, the general consensus is we want to go fast before we can go far, okay? Um, we definitely stick to a, a USPRT uh, swim philosophy, uh, ultra-short race pace training, because we want them to swim very well, very mindfully for a short period of time. And then we say, how can we learn to extend that over time? Because I think that's one of the biggest mistakes people make is they, they're unaware of what they're doing to create the speed or to hold their form together during a race. And so that has seemed to work really well for us. And just to be intentional about their training. And then on the bike, the same thing. Let's teach athletes how to create power for a short amount of time and then learn how to extend it as they get close to race day. And then the run, honestly, it's about keeping the athlete injury free. Like how can we create durability, consistency? And then, yes, you know, we want to look at a, 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 a speed and a strength element, depending on what their goals are. And how often can we work those two into the mix, into their training plan on a weekly basis? And we fold off that going into that very specific block. Yeah, thank you. That, that was a great, uh, great overview and, uh, and really like those 
that, that detail. I think personally, the way I look at the in-between uh, is like a, almost like a gap analysis. And this is kind of my engineering background. <laughs> but, but there you would typically do gap analysis when, when you're yeah. doing product development and, and testing and so on. And, and, uh, and that's, that's then what determines where you get from the starting point that you described and the ending point. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's really interesting to, uh, or, or I, I like the way that you describe, yeah, you start with the testing and then you have the race specific training, obviously at the end and the race planning as well as a big part of that. And that, that's just another example of good, good coaching when, it's not just about the training plan. It's about, okay, but how, how do we take your current fitness and we actually help the athlete perform on race day by having a really thought through racing, racing strategy. And, and uh, yeah, that's something that unfortunately I, I hear a lot of times that people don't necessarily get. But uh, yeah, one, one question about your coaching that I want to get to, given your background in tennis, is how has that background influenced how you how you coach and, and how you view coaching in triathlon, if, if at all? The biggest thing I took away from coaching tennis was communication. You really had to be detailed and specific about how you were going to relay what you wanted the athlete to do, number one. Number two, if you, had, uh, you wanted an athlete to do a specific thing, you needed to learn three to four different ways on how to describe that thing, because not one thing would resonate with an athlete. You might, if you tell them a slightly different way of doing it, or maybe an ad, add an analogy, I'm like the queen of analogies. If you add this analogy, I'm like, oh, I get it. And so that is kind of what I really learned from uh, tennis that transferred into triathlon, especially when explaining technique, you know, um, with swimming being so technical. And, and, you know, if we're diving to form, there are definitely technical aspects in cycling and running as well that, that people don't address. But that, that would be it, is that communication. Yeah, yeah no, that's, that's great. H- have you read the book? I think it's called, I haven't read it myself, but I think it's called The Inner Game of Tennis. I have not, actually. I, I, I think it's, I can't describe it because I haven't read it, but I know one of my athletes read it and, and she really used it a lot for both her swim technique progression and also for piano playing and improving <laughs> piano. So, so I think that that was just an interesting example that I've had indirectly through one of my athletes with, with tennis and how that can help triathlon, yeah. but also other uh, motoric, fine motoric skills. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so then another coaching related question do you have any strong coaching influences within endurance sports triathlon coaches that you've had or that you've been influenced by or other endurance sports coaches that you draw upon yeah um you know i'm constantly looking to see what other coaches are doing um obviously i've had the fortune of working with so many good coaches and so i've worked with coaches that have been very much under the the brett sutton influence of training and so there's definitely pieces of that that i incorporate into our training plans um i worked with jerry rodriguez at tara 26 and so i took kind of what i learned from him especially from the technical standpoint of coaching swimming and then most recently i worked with tim floyd who is where i got the usprt which he we spoke on your podcast actually about that um outside of learning the, the 
um, the swimming methodology from him, what I took from him the most was the mindfulness and, and taking intent into every single session. And we're really big about that when we're coaching athletes, both in person, you know, we would describe a session, but say mentally, this is what you need to be thinking about mentally. This is how it's going to relate to race day. Um, yeah, but you know, outside of that, I've listened to all your, your, uh, podcasts with like uh, your influence, honestly, like I listen, I've listened to this podcast religiously for, for years now. Cause how long have you been going on this podcast yeah it's been uh i think five years or four four or five years it's too many to count (laughs) yeah yeah i've i've been an avid listener for all those years but i mean i for me i really like it obviously when you get coaches on and and those that are doing stuff like you know you've got dan larang and um paulo sosa and joel frill and uh i've really taken a little bit out, out of each of these coaches um and started to implement it on my own training because I've been a professional for 13 years now. And so I would put myself as a test monkey, uh, coaching myself and say, okay, what worked? And then I'll start to work it on other athletes and go, oh, this makes sense. This works. And then start to spread it out to the other athletes that we coach. So, Yeah. Awesome. Uh, now let's get into some specific tips for, and let's set the context first. Let's talk about age group triathletes here, uh, the typical age group triathlete that uh, that that you would get get into your squad, for example. Can you give one or two pieces of advice for how they can improve their swim training and or swim performance? Yeah. So. Number one is swimming with intention, having a clear plan when you're getting to the pool of what you're going to focus on and what you're going to do. We have so many athletes that come to us and and they would literally get in the pool and just swim because they just want to feel like they can do the distance and really not think about how they're swimming and how it feels. And so we're big about making sure that they have full understanding of how to change speeds. You know, if you're going to swim at 80% and you need to pick up the speed to 90%, what is the form focus that you're going to take into doing that? And they end up being a self-coach by just being very mindful about their workouts. And then the second piece of advice is they have to swim frequently. I would rather prefer an athlete get in the pool four or five times a week for 20, 30 minutes at a time, then do two sessions for one hour at a time. Because as you know, most age group triathletes, they look at the swim and go, oh, that's only 20 minutes or 30 minutes. That's such a small part of my day. I'm only going to put attention onto that sport for that amount of time in my training as well, without thinking that swimming impacts the way you bike and you run as well. And so we have to put a heavier emphasis on swimming so you can bike and run well. Yeah, makes sense. And what about the bike? If you can give one or two tips for improving training and or performance there. You know, I would say the same thing goes as far as being very intentional about what you're doing. Too many people kind of get on their their swim bikes and they're most of the time looking at their phones and scrolling Instagram as they're working out versus really focusing on like the effort and, you know, what are they doing with their foot and their form and um, learning how to breathe to bring their heart rate down and, you know, are they engaging their glutes? And so just really paying attention to how you feel and how can you create and generate power. Um And then frequency, again, I feel like the more you can interact with your bike and really work on those things, um, the better. I will say one more thing, probably equal to frequency, is be clear on if you're going hard or you're going easy. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a ride and we're doing intervals and you can't differentiate between their interval and their easy riding because they don't want to slow down. And so uh, you look at the pros and basically everyone passes the pros on the easy riding. And then as soon as it's time to go, the pros blow by them. I mean, there's a reason for that. And so uh, age groupers should pay attention to what the better athletes are doing and, and follow suit. 
Yeah. And uh, what about running? Uh, the biggest thing we always see is um, and have athletes do is having to slow down to make it truly aerobic. Um, and then number two is dur- durability through frequency. Um, I'm big on running frequently to build up efficiency and just build up durability of the joints versus um, running here and there and now it being this massive impact on the joints and they're running too fast and then that's how they're getting hurt. And so if we can run frequently, if we can slow down, build up that efficiency, um, I think that's a good starting point for most athletes. Yeah, no, I, I would definitely definitely agree with that. And uh, and there's some, I think uh, an interview that I did with James Davenham, a physiotherapist, was really interesting in explaining kind of the tissue remodeling and tissue recovery aspects of of this and, and why it makes sense that you, you can easily recover from a 20 to 30 minute run relatively quickly and you can do it day after day, at least once you once you have some experience, let's call it a, a few months of experience of running, but but right. but but it's not the same to do uh, a one hour run back to back at all. It's it's just a, a different different ball game. So yeah, frequency, especially in the early parts of a career, makes makes total sense. Yeah. Um, and when you take on a new athlete, do you have any typical uh, what you might call early wins? So by that I mean examples of changes where the athlete can get some quick improvements or quick results uh that based on something that you help them change yeah um uh, just swim bike and run you know obviously on the swim shortening things up and making things just more intentful like um i always start with athletes with learning how to swim correctly 25 at a time and then once they know how to do that then they extend it to 50, they extend it to 75. And that's really made a difference in, in swimming with the correct form, being mindful about it. And uh, we, we see quick improvements from that. Um, then biking, our early win is definitely, I'm a big fan of big gear work. Um, so a lot of athletes do come to us and I'm looking at their cadence and they're just spinning at 90 to 100 RPM. And, uh, and as soon as, and they're missing that strength element, you know, we see so many athletes that if you look at their threshold heart rate on the run and their max heart rate on the run and you compare it to the bike, like there's this huge gap, you know, where their max heart rate's maybe 180 and on the bike, it's only like 150. And we say, well, you just don't have the leg strength to work hard enough to get your heart rate higher. And so as soon as we start working on bigger gear work, just to build cycling specific strength, they're able to work at just a different level. And we we get results really quickly from that. Um, On the run, you know, honestly, it's just building in frequency and slowing them down. You know, everyone is so uh, doesn't want to do it at first. They don't want to slow down and, and it feels like they're not improving by doing so, but we immediately start pointing out, Hey, look at your pace. Um, and look at the heart rate and the next week, that same pace, their heart rate's now lower or at that same heart rate, their pace is now a little bit faster. And so that is, that is a big thing that we do. And then cadence, we always look at their running cadence and so many of them, they just need to learn how to pick up their cadence in order to increase speed. Because we know that you come off the bike, there's no such thing as big, powerful, strong strides that's going to get you across, you know, a 13 or 26 mile run. Like for you to go fast and hold speed, like you have to be turning your legs over. And so we make that a prime focus for our athletes when they come into us. Yeah, uh, I, I really like that uh, that explanation of the, the big gear work and, and the 
the example of somebody might have a much lower max heart rate on the bike than, than the run. Um, and that's something that I also see. I measure heart rate in the pool, which I find really interesting, actually, and, and quite quite useful. Uh, not in real time, but analyzing the sessions after. And and I've definitely definitely seen that in my in my own data that especially a year or two years ago, my max heart rate in swimming was so much lower than in the other sports, and it's gradually come closer and closer, which I think is a good thing. Uh, yeah. Do you have any? Is that something that you've seen as well? Do you have any athletes that are using heart rate in the pool? We have not started using heart rate in the pool. So that that is definitely, there There definitely are so many areas in kind of adding science into what we're doing. And like everyone's doing the lactate testing now, like through the sessions. And we haven't gotten there yet, but that will definitely be something that we want to kind of continue to build on in the future in our programming. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think I just think with the heart with the heart rate in the pool, what the thing that I would that I, that I was getting at there probably is that I I would be curious to know if there is a method that you can kind of yeah. get it up quicker, get it closer to your true maximum quicker. And I haven't found yeah. one to be honest. I don't think it's the same as in on the bike. I think it's more you just need to swim a lot, you, or you need to you need to build up your general swim fitness more so than I don't think you can cheat it by just quote-unquote doing strength work with paddles uh, because i think it's a bit different the limitations that you have in the pool but but gotcha. it's, but still you have the same you have the same problem as as some athletes have on the bike yeah no i can see that totally I, I, now i'm interested in doing that just to see what i can learn from it yeah yeah no that i found useful the the lactate during testing um yeah i would say i'm very much on the fence with that i think it's fun but i don't think it's necessarily too useful <laughs> to be honest <laughs> good to know uh, yeah. uh, then uh next question do you have some some advice that you can give to really busy athletes time crunched athletes on how to fit training into a packed schedule and and importantly still be able to adapt positively to the training yeah honestly it's all about finding the right time to train day in, day out. You know, we look at an athlete's schedule and we really want to learn about what their um, life and work schedule looks like. And then we fold in the training around that to where they can be consistent week in, week out. And for the most part, you know, if every Monday they know, hey, they're swimming before heading to work. Every Tuesday, they know they have a bike run. It's not always changing week in, week out. However, at the end of the week, we want to look at it and say, okay, was this the best use of our time? And did you feel like you got the most out of that session based on the fatigue that you're carrying in from your work home life? And if the answer is like, yeah, we could do something better, or you know, if I change this bike to later in the day, I'm actually going to be fresher for it, well, um, let's try that. You know, let's see if you are going to go in and have a better, you know, more positive adaption because you could work harder uh, for that session. And then maybe the next day we need to change something to recover off that session. So I guess my advice would be try to find a schedule that works well within your work life schedule, but then always critique it at the end of the week to ask yourself, can I do things better? And continually tweak it until you find like that perfect rhythm that can go week in, week out. Um, And a lot of the times you also need to account for the stress. Like you get training stress and you have work life stress. And you have to work that into when you want to do your key sessions. So like if you know you have Monday as a very stressful work day of just meeting after meeting and you know at the end of the day you're just exhausted, well, that's stress that uh, you can account that as if you just did a hard workout that day. So probably doing a very hard workout the next day is not for you. Plan your hard workouts around the days that you know the day before you're going to be a little more rested going into it. 
Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I like that uh, process of every every week asking yourself, uh, yeah, what, was there something that I could can do to improve improve the process? Do Do you have that conversation with your athletes basically on a weekly weekly basis? That specific discussing that specific thing, like reviewing the week that was in in that way. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's we're very high on communication when we start to first work with an athlete, and then we find the perfect rhythm within typically a month or two. And then definitely, if we see you know in training peaks, if it's all complete, it's all green, right? If we see yellow and red, we're going to have the conversation of, did you just not you know time manage this day to where you you missed the session, or is there something impacting it that you could not get the session in, and do we need to change things around? Um, and then we always start with athletes doing the minimum, and at the end of the week, say, hey, can we add? We should never say, oh, we need to take things away because that was just too much. We'd rather want to build off what we know we can comfortably do because otherwise it becomes too overwhelming for the busy athlete if we start too high yeah definitely you want to give give that kind of psychological win of yeah. an athlete feeling that they're able to take on more rather than no oh no i didn't manage that i'm i'm a failure yeah. kind of thing absolutely uh, yeah so what about recovery and balancing in that you, you kind of mentioned some some things already with regard to how you think about recovery the stress discussion we just had but also earlier you mentioned that you like to build a consistent routine not not so much overload weeks or overload days with mass recovery are there any other aspects of recovery that that you would like to highlight and, and discuss it all starts with eating and sleeping <laughs> if you want to recover from your sessions like go back to the basics of eat really well fuel your sessions and eat really well around your sessions and then make sure you're getting a lot of sleep I feel like if you can just do the, those two things and we give you the right load of training week in, week out, like you are going to recover and be ready for the next day. Um, then yes, we like to fold in recovery into our weeks versus instead of doing like this big build and like two, three big days where you need two, three days to recover. We work on a cadence where we know that if you have a big session that is going to you know, be a high demand both physically and mentally, well, we know the next day that we don't give, want to give you a high demand physical or mentally session at all. We, let's recover from the day before, still get training in it, maybe just aerobic training really light because swimming, easy biking, easy running, that facilitates recovery. So let's do it and let's just work on form. And then the next day we should be ready to go. If we're eating well, we're sleeping well, we should be ready to go again on a key workout. Now, the cadence of how many hard workouts in successive days depends on the level of the athlete and the age of the athlete and, and basically what they can handle in their work-life balance. So for some athletes, we know we can only give them one hard workout day and that's going to need to follow or what's going to need to follow is an easier day before we can maybe do a harder day and sometimes maybe two easier days because this is an aerobic sport. Let's just go out and train. You're going to get better from it. Um, and then for our more elite athletes, we may have two big days where they're getting in a big bike run, key swim, and the next day might be a pretty big run as well, but then the following two days are easier. So we, we try to find and perfect the cadence for each athlete with recovering in every single week. Yeah, yeah. No, great, great points, all of them, for sure. And yeah, keep keeping it simple, but but doing the simple things well, that's, that's really key, I think. And uh, next question, uh, the balance of uh, art and science when it comes to co coaching, can you discuss that what are your thoughts on that yeah i i think um it has to go together um you know when i look at art on my for myself and the way i apply to coaching 
I draw a lot of experience from myself as an athlete. You know, how, how did these sessions mentally and emotionally impact me? You know, what were the demands of the sessions? And I honestly will create training plans with that in mind. Like what is, what is the cost of the session? We're wanting to get this adaption, but what is the cost? And, and then I'll, it will change based on the athlete as far as what I give them and what they can recover from. And so I feel like just asking those like relative questions, kind of the art comes in. But then the science side, of course, I'm, I'm a planner. And so I do like to look at a training plan and see that week two is a build of week one. And you can see a direct translation of this is what we're doing and doing a little bit better. And then week three is a build of week two. And so there's progressive progression in the manner of our, our training. Um, I do that sometimes. And then I also do like a ultra or a bi-weekly comparison because athletes, we're doing that in a block right now is we have like 90 athletes going to Texas 70.3 and all of them are really thriving on a bi-weekly comparison block, which is we did, for example, um, on one Tuesday, week one, we did a time trial. Well, week three, we did the same time trial and the goal was to do it better. Then week five, we did the time trial and extended and week seven, we did the same time trial and do it better. And so, and they had all these wins along the way, like, oh, I'm getting better. And then on the alternate, the flip side, week two and four were the same. Week six and eight were the same. And also that kind of comparison, but build to be race ready. So I feel like that's probably the sciencey side, you know, of planning and yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I like that. that. That helps as a coach as well. It helps you see how, how things are going in an, in an objective way with 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 those things and as long as it's not too costly for the athlete in terms of physically i'm I'm sure it's it's fine to do a short time trial quite often i think but some athletes i find are, are you need to be a bit more careful with just mentally if, if, it, if it is as a stress but i think it's also about how you frame it to the athlete it's not a right. you know a, a pass or test fail it's just a, a it's testing is training and training is testing in a way Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we don't like to test. We do get initial testing from them in the very beginning, but if we can pull the data from these kind of sessions, that is, that is testing. As you said, training is testing. And so we can say, oh, your FTP needs to be higher because look at what you did in this session, you know? Um, And, and we, we always, we're on Zwift. So we do team Zwift time trials and we, we call it our video game and, you know, we're playing, but in turn, we're getting fitter. And so we try to approach it as like, let's go play video games and in turn get fitter just to keep it kind of lighthearted through the process. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think that, that that is key, the lightheartedness as well. And and for, for example, I've played around with just how I name sessions. So let's say I have a... I have. A, I wanted them to do a three-minute bike time trial and I call it three-minute bike time trial as the title in Training Peaks. Then I know that... I, the athlete will react completely differently than if I have a, a workout called uh, fast blast or something, something fun yeah. like that. And then, and then it contains something three minute all out, but it won't be perceived as a time trial in a way. It will just be perceived as part of the, a natural part of the workout and, and it won't cause that same stress response, I think, in, in some athletes that would otherwise have it. Yeah, it's so true. It's it's weird how that works, isn't it? Um, we we went through like um, this series of three, four, five minute intervals, which were essentially like VO two max and FTP intervals. But I was just like, let's climb up the hill, you know, in short segments and race against each other. And and with that, it wasn't as mentally taxing for them. So 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's also one reason why it's really good. It can be really good to train in a group or train outdoors, like just for that the cognitive cost of doing things alone or indoors can can sometimes be a lot higher than than the alternatives but of Absolutely. course this all depends on there are pros and cons to each uh, to each of those methods um yeah and and then what advice would you give to somebody who is completely new to triathlon just getting into the sport if you can give one or two pieces of advice that we haven't discussed yet yeah i would look to see if there's a local group that you can join. I feel like going and meeting people and having FaceTime with coaches, but also other athletes. We, we have that environment here where we have so many athletes training together. And it's kind of to a point where now they're not even learning from me anymore. They're learning from each other. You know, what gear are you using? And what did you do for this? And so it makes my job easy, but I just feel like it really fast tracks the process. And then the other thing is, you know, a lot of people start out in the sport and they try to piecemeal things together and figure out how to train. When in reality, this is actually the time you need a coach to learn how to piece it together within your lifestyle. So it can, as we talked about in the very beginning, be fun, be sustainable, not be this huge burden that you're taking on. Um, and then understand like what gear do you need? Correct form so that you don't get injured. You know, because a lot of injuries happen in the very beginning of someone's career because they're they're not training correctly and they're not training with the right form. So if you can kind of get with a coach right away to fix those two things, well then on your own later on, you're doing things correctly kind of from the get-go. So those would be my two things. Yeah, no, it, it's it's a bit like compound interest the earlier you start the more gains you will have for the rest of your career with, with yeah. that yeah uh and uh, then if we take another example somebody who has done a couple of seasons of triathlon training already and they want to move up from let's say sprint and olympic distance to doing half and full ironmans yeah so if you have learned and perfected the way to train week in week out training for a sprint and olympic distance Know that it's not such more of a big ask to train for an Olympic and an Ironman. Uh, a lot of people are like, what is, what is the difference? Is it going to be too difficult for me? I've said, well, in reality, your week, Monday through Friday, when you're managing work, family, et cetera, typically stays the same, but the weekends are going to be bigger. So you got to just make sure that you're prepared for that. Um, and then in fueling comes into play. The longer you're training, the more important you really nailing down your fueling so you can be ready to train for that duration of time. And so the biggest change is really uh, every little bit matters when it comes to what needs to be in place to support your training. But uh, it's not as big of a jump that people think, I guess would be the biggest thing I would, I would share. Yeah, great. And uh, finally, uh, what advice would you give to an experienced athlete that has plenty of racing under their belt, but they might be a bit, uh, their results might have stagnated and, and they want to take a step further, start improving again and maybe step onto some podiums? Yeah, so you look at, um, you don't ask them, what are your goals anymore? You ask them, what are your limitations from reaching your goals at this level? And a lot of the time, the answer is not swim, bike, and run. It's what they're doing around swim, bike, and run that needs to be addressed. That's kind of where the mental training comes into play or something supporting the training that's not that's letting them down. But, um, you know, with all of our top-level athletes, we'd say, okay, you want to become a pro. Well, if you look at what the pros are doing, what are your limitations from getting to that level? Like, where is your swim compared to them? Where is your bike compared to them? Where is your run? Time management, on what scale is that? 
mentally, where are you? You know, so there's so many things that is your family on board. That's a big one. You know, a lot of people are like missing that final level just because there's tension at home about them training. It's like, they're not getting the support they feel they need. And then, you know, they're, they're not able to break through to that final, that 1%, right? So um, yeah, just asking different questions at that higher level is what is needed. Great. Yeah. And uh, what's one thing within coaching or within endurance sports in general that you are currently learning about or fascinated by and why? So I've been very fascinated on the mental side of training and its impact on not only training, but on race day performance. And so I go through waves of like digging into books on, on learning how to essentially stay focused um, how to get into, you know, what you would say a flow state, you know, because you can now operate at a much higher intensity, but because of the way you're breathing and the way you're focusing, the effort is much lower. Your heart rate is much lower, if that makes sense. And so I'm really fascinated about that. Um, my, uh, where I was diving into podcasts every single day, reading books every single day on, on the sport of triathlon, because our business has grown so much. My focus now is on learning how to run a business. because that's totally new to me. So in all honesty, like I've actually stepped away uh, a little bit, but I will always dive back into, into what kind of that next thing is, but mental training yeah. right now. Yeah. Do you have uh, one or two nuggets uh, just that you can share from the mental training, something that listeners can try and they can do and incorporate in their training and that could, could be helpful. Number one is learning how to breathe. It all starts there. It's um, I started again with when my work with Tim Floyd, like I was so anxious because about the effort that I was going to do and I didn't want to suffer. And he just taught me how to breathe correctly on the side of the wall, which not only calmed my heart rate down, but it put me into a very focused state for the next effort on, on just focusing on what I needed to do in front of me. So I feel like that's very big. I did Ironman Florida two years ago. And the whole time, based on the techniques of breathing, I felt for the nine hours I raced, I was just focusing on breathing, you know, at a very controlled manner, which in turn kept me very focused. Um, and then outside of that, kind of having specific cues uh, with which to go on, there, there's so many right now uh, with our team here in Austin, we're putting them in these sessions where I tell them, uh, we just did a session where we had them do 15 by 800. It's a Sutton session, right? at race pace. And I said, I want you to dial this in. And so that when you get to race day, you can immediately remember the session and break up the 13 miles as if it's just another 800. It's just another 800 and put yourself back on the track to where you felt great. Everything was clicking. And so it's kind of that meant that, that vision um, of, of with mental cues back to successful sessions that you want to be calling on come race day. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. It's great. Uh, so let's move on to the rapid fire questions. So take just one sentence to answer each of these. And the first okay. one is what's your favorite book or resource related to triathlon or endurance sports? I can honestly say it's your podcast. <laughs> Thank you. No, it's really true. That. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite, favorite guest or favorite episode? Uh, I was so big into following Siler. So I loved listening to him, Steven Siler, speak on your podcast. Um, but then since then, man, they, honestly, there have been so many that I've, I've learned from. But definitely the coaches that are uh, working with top-level athletes and doing amazing things. I love to hear those. 
Yeah. Uh, what's an important habit that you've benefited from athletically, professionally, or personally? Time management. Just really planning out the details of every single day to get everything done. And finally, who's somebody that you look up to or that has inspired you? Uh, unusual answer, but I am continuously inspired by my athletes that I work with every single day because I know how much work, life, and yet they're still showing up, even at a very beginner level, to put the best effort into every single session. So for me, that's super inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. No, no doubt. No doubt. And uh, finally, Natasha, tell the listeners, where can they find out more about you and uh, your, your coaching business, uh, social media, website, and so on? Yeah, so my website is nvdmcoaching.com. And then I am on Instagram pretty actively. Um, it's NatashaVDM81 is my handle. But then also we have an NVDM coaching handle as well. And um, yeah, if they want to check out, as I said, I was on those YouTube videos. If they look up Nick Bear and they go to Ironman season two, they would actually see me coaching him through a preparation to an Ironman if they're interested in checking that out. Yeah, that sounds cool. I'll, I'll uh, try to remember to put a link for that as well in the show notes. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to talk to you uh, and uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. As always, you can find the show notes and links on scientifictriathlon.com. The main ones are to Natasha's website, nvdmcoaching.com and her uh, social media, her Instagram, uh, both personal and business Instagram accounts. So check those out if you're interested. Next Monday, I interview Glenn Polunis, who is a Girona-based triathlon coach from Belgium. Uh, among others, Glenn coaches Martin Van Riel, who just recently set an Ironman 73 world record or world best. Uh, so that will be extremely exciting to learn more about Glenn's coaching. If you are interested in getting a coach yourself, then consider checking out Scientific Triathlon and our coaches and what we do and how we how we provide our coaching services. I think one of the key markers of success for us is how long our athletes stay with us, and we're measuring that in years rather than months, uh, which uh, which is not an easy feat in uh, in coaching in general because uh, things happen. So to reach a high level of retention, I guess is uh, is a really important marker for really good coaching quality so we're, we're happy about that and proud about that and if you're interested reach out and we'll be happy to explain more finally big thanks to our sponsors roca that you can find on roca.com check out their wetsuits tri suits swim skins goggles and exceptional sunglasses and prescription glasses for everything from day-to-day -day wear to extreme action sports use the promo code that you can find on roca.com forward slash tts to get 20 percent off your entire roca order and thank you to senate use the senate swim trainer to improve your technique power stamina and in your swim training consistency and get 20 percent off your order on the swim trainer with the promo code that you can get on senateswimtrainer.com forward slash tts and don't forget that it's a risk-free investment if you don't love it after two weeks send it back and get a full refund thank you as always for listening keep training smart and keep loving crap <laughs>